This is going to be around episode 58 of the Brilliant Podcast. And if you don't mind, I'm going to use your name as Mitchell. Is that, is that acceptable? Okay. So I'm going to have a conversation today. This is a part of this series that originally was going to be three parts. And now it looks like it's going to be four or five parts on exclusion. So this is obviously a conversation or, or a topic that, you know, really strikes at a lot of different people's uh, sweet spot. A lot of people uh, in and around the anarchist space feel like they have been excluded. And so, so I definitely have reached out to and been reached out to by a number of people who are really engaged in this topic. And the reason why Mitchell is so relevant, and I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction, is that Mitchell is one of the few people uh, who at least, at least used to describe themselves as an anarchist who has been banned from the long haul info shop, uh, which if you know anything about the long haul, you know that it's incredibly difficult to get, to get banned from there. Um, and uh, I think I've been part of escorting Mitchell out of two or three different spaces. And, and I know of at least another two or three that I witnessed uh, Mitchell get escorted out. And so um, Mitchell is an elderly person. And so there aren't <laughs> elderly-ish, we'll say. And uh, so there aren't that many people who are both old within the anarchist space who are so um, reviled or or something that uh, they actually on site get get escorted out of out of anarchist spaces. I don't know if I'm reviled. <laughs> So, I mean, I guess the first question, you know, before we get to sort of background, because I... And I, I'm paranoid, so I mean, you know, if I were reviled, I'd be the first one to jump in <laughs> Sure, <that>. sure. <laughs> but, um, but the real, I guess the real question is, why do you think it is that you've been so targeted in this way that, that probably at this point you feel absolutely excluded from the anarchist space? It's anti-Semitism. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I really don't know. I think part of it is... Part of it is just a matter of clickishness. Um, and there is an enormous amount of that in the scene. I, I think one good place to, to start both answering your question and kind of to frame this discussion a little bit, I will say that while for about probably 20 years of my life, probably up to about three to six months ago, I very definitely identified myself as an anarchist. I'm kind of drawing away from that lately for a variety of reasons. But my primary one is that basically I've, you know, over the years, and this is kind of, I think, related to the uh, exclusion uh, situation, that anarchism and the anarchist community have become... And here I'm. Here I'm. Here I'm. I'm going to invoke Madison. Uh, have become a faction mm -hmm. contending for power, and that's exactly what. Obviously, as an anarchist, or maybe not obviously, I wanted to get away from. I mean, if if anarchy is going to succeed as developing any kind of humane community, or any kind of any kind of community of free people. It can't start by a group of people coming along and saying, we have the idea for how everybody else is going to be ruled or to rule themselves. You know, trust us uh, or okay. don't trust us. So before we, we get into uh, 
uh, some well-deserved rants. Um, <laughs> let, let's start a bit more at the beginning. Um, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, as a faction, I was never, I never felt like I was part of a community, like, uh, of the subculture. No, sure or, sure. or a member of the faction. Okay. And I think people picked up on that. How many people your age could be part of that faction? That's an interesting question. It's it's a broad question, and the the obviously the edges are very blurry. I mean, you take somebody like Joey Kane, who's in his fifties, or that woman who that woman who died, whose memorial I was almost escorted out of because I think I brought up some political issue, and somebody came up to me and said, "How dare you? This is awake." You know. You mean Audrey? I think so. <laughs> okay. Um, and you know, I, I I that one that one actually got ironed out pretty quick, but. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it was it was one case. I mean, how old was she at the time? Probably in her seventies or nineties. Okay, there you go. So there are people who've identified as anarchists, and I guess kind of positioned themselves as elder statesmen. When you said the word elderly earlier, I noticed I kind of raised my eyebrows. I, don't know. I, I I guess you know. I remember at one time you made a very memorable offer to me that what you know if if I wanted to if I wanted to. Uh, Write something uh, or intervene in the dialogue. Why don't I do? Why don't I do an article or a book about about um, about aging people and in uh, the anarchist? And the funny thing is, you know, like yourself, Aragorn, I'm not I'm not really a leftist, and I've never been comfortable with tokenism or identity politics. I'm 67. I don't know if that's elderly these days. Uh, I guess, you know, people listening probably hear sort of a gravelly voice and, you know, I sound, you know, I sound like the 67-year-old New York Jew that I am, but I don't know if that's, I don't know if that constitutes elderly. Okay. I'm old enough to be uh, a lot of people's grandfather, but, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think of it that way. Um, more so now, but again, only in the last few months, I've started to realize that I'm, I'm no longer a kid looking, looking for other kids to hang out with her. But a lot of these kids are kids looking for other kids to hang out with, and that's who they find. Yeah. And I'm not one of them. So age is related. So, paragraph break. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. One, how did you come to find yourself? And two, how did you come to find anarchism? How did I come to find myself? Like, how did you become the political person that you became? And then, I'm sure... After that is when he became an anarchist. I'm going to have to sort of truncate this or frame it a little bit, mm -hmm. a little more tightly. Um, as far as as far as how I came to find myself, politically, culturally, spiritually, whatever, um, I will do a book at some point if I if I if I if I don't shirk my existential responsibility. Working title is All Along the Watchtower. It will be a memoir, and there will be an awful lot of ground to cover there. Um, but the smaller question about finding myself among anarchists goes back to uh, New York. Um, I had moved into a building uh, that was occupied by um, the remnants of the Yippies. Um, so this is early 70s. Um... Um, let's see. I, I actually moved in there in the very late seventies, early eighties. Okay. Um, in the early seventies, I was finishing college in Ann Arbor. I spent a year out here in the Bay Area, and then I and and, and then 
Um, you know, I, um, I didn't actually even move back to New York from college uh, and my trip out here until uh, about 76. Uh, and I started getting my feet wet in the gay scene. Um, and um, I guess what happened was I was working with my dad who had an engraving shop. Um, and we, we had a parting of the ways. He was very old school immigrant who kind of came up the hard way, etc. He had his way of doing things. I had my way of doing is things. He, is, he from, is he from Eastern Europe? Um, you don't know this story? Hmm. In 1932, when he was 12, his father died of leukemia. His mom had a brother who lived in New York and worked as a travel agent. And uh, two years later, in 1934, got them an entry visa, which was very hard, you know, some of the 24 sure. immigration law, got them an entry visa and said, come over to the States. The depression's over here. You'll certainly live better than you will in Lutch. You know what happened in Lutch? Uh, they all got wiped out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is an old, this is a repeating motif in my life and my family uh, in that, um, well, there are numerous repeating motifs, among them the fact that my father and his brother both had eldest sons who turned out to be gay, and my father's brother's daughter's eldest son turned out to be gay. I don't know, it seems like there's... But, but the motif is, my father's father died, and he survived as a result. Um, I know this is, uh, I know this is, uh, this is uh, strange from the discussion, but... Um, in the um, early 80s, uh, I had a boyfriend who committed suicide, and I was in grief for a year. I was working as a journalist for a gay paper, and about halfway through that year, I was out of circulation as a sexual being, or, you know, any kind of... Um, and uh, about halfway through that year, my publisher set came to me and said, I want you to read this article in The Advocate uh, by a guy named Nathan Fain. It's about this new disease. By the time I was going to be back in circulation, I knew the rules. I'm still HIV negative at, th at this point. Yeah. I will add, and this kind of relates in a very oblique way to some of the exclusion stuff, um, that along the way, um, I, the reason that I'm HIV negative is knowing how the virus was transmitted, um, I simply had a very simple rule. Come as a lethal poison. Come as it's seen is a lethal poison. Don't take it inside of you. Sure. Um, and um, as a result, in a certain sense, my sexuality was decapitated. Mm. Um, the only way I managed to make up for that, way, way later, kind of there we find ourselves in the late 90s, was a nasty little lady called Tina, i.e. Crystal Beth, which somebody came along one day and said, try this, it'll bring back some of the old pizzazz. Well... It did, but it took me a while to realize the question of sustainability. Now, to go back to your original question, Excellent. to go back to your original question. Um, and you don't need to overshare. I, I, you know, <laughs> that's me, and that, that if, if we have to touch on one thing in this discussion, um, if one, if one uh, issue or focus is relevant here, to me, it has to do with the relationship between anarchy or anarchism and openness. Mm -hmm. This is me. And 
Uh, I mean, we all bring our personalities to our politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did I become an anarchist? How did I realize I was an anarchist? So I had this friend named Dean Tuckerman, you know Dean. Of course. Uh, who was actually also living at 9 Bleecker Street, New oh, York. Oh, really? So he, yeah. you met him in the late and 70s? I met him in the, 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 the late 70s, early 80s. I've, I've known Dean for like, what, 40 years. Yeah. Um, and um, he started talking to me about, uh, about anarchism. Um, I already had read my share of Paul Goodman. I wasn't really familiar with Emma Goldman. Did you know, you know Abby Hoffman? Oh, uh, I met Abby briefly. But you knew his, his writing. Know, I know that stuff. I did. You know. uh, interestingly enough, although I moved into the building, the reason I moved in was when I had that parting away with my father. This will tie that all together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was out of work, um, and my roommate uh, said, um, I know how you can make some money. Harold Pickett, who published this gay paper I ended up working for, needs a typographer. And I know a guy that has some typesetting equipment. Uh, But I have to tell you a secret. Uh, The worst kept secret in New York is what he does for a living. He's a wholesale pot dealer. Um, And sure enough, when I got to the place, there were these copyographic machines. uh, And if you lifted up the uh, faceplate around the keyboard, you'd all strewn with seeds, etc., sure. etc. Et so I, I ended up there, but I never really considered myself one of the yippies. Um, I, I was a little late. No, it wasn't just that. I mean, I was old enough to have been involved with that scene if it were my scene. Um, I was always, I always took more of an observer position toward, not so much toward the counterculture. That was a lust position. I lusted after and always wanted to be a real hippie. And there's a, and there's a relevant factor there, too. Because to me, the way that things work is you need to be nice people. Uh, literally. Mm. I mean, I even, have, I even have problems with Black Lives Matter in that regard. Because a lot of the people that are being, you know, that people want justice for, they aren't always nice people. Some of them are. And I certainly, certainly, you know... Uh, in, in the course of my life, have have never loved cops, uh, but um, you know, I'm, but I digress again. But you're saying you're for nice people? Oh, absolutely. That's hysterical. Um, what? That I'm for nice people? Most people wouldn't consider you a nice person. I don't know if that's true. I don't think the reason that I've been ostracized from some of these scenes is because people think I'm not nice. I think there's a difference between. Okay. The, okay. Well, well, let's I come think back they to think, that. They think I'm not one of them. Let's come back to that, because I do think that this speaks to the question about oversharing. Well, let me ask you a question. If people think I'm not nice, I would be very interested in learning in what way they think I'm not nice. Uh, What's not nice about me? Well, nice... I think is a is a statement that's not just a statement about your like politeness or, uh, but it's it's a statement about what are the topics you bring up, what like nice is coded language for for, for a white Protestant suburban personality type. I'm a loudmouth New York Jew. Exactly. So well, that's why you're not isn't. nice. Maybe 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 my initial joke there's something to it. Maybe there is an element of, if not anti-Semitism, kind of a cultural gentility that I've never bought into, that I wasn't brought up with. I yeah. mean, is it bad breeding? Is it, it's not, that's not about what, what nice is about to me is being kind, not being belligerent, uh, you know. I mean, I've met people, some of the people you're telling me about, 
are some of the most bellicose people in the political scene. So how do you, you know, we have very different, or I and these people have very different definitions or notions of what's nice. So Dean Tuckerman, was he a self-described anarchist at this point? Oh, yeah. So he turned me on to a lot of anarchist writings and in general to the notion that, in fact, to the notion that my sense of what the counterculture was about was not, ironically enough, he was, he's always been a leftist, but was not about organizing politically and all this bureaucratic stuff, but actually about dismantling and doing away with power structures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to insert there that when I talk about dismantling and doing away with power structures, that my entire view of, uh, you know, I don't believe in a lot of, uh, a lot of, the current um, almost universally accepted notions in critical theory and stuff like I, I really detest Foucault. I believe in dismantling power structures. I believe it's possible to do so. And that simply simply putting the shoe on the other foot doesn't solve the problem of power and hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also think that with the age difference, a lot of these people do view the world that way. So in addition to uh, culturally, maybe being an outlier, um, intellectually and theoretically, I'm also coming from a very different age. I'm, I'm, you know, I was not born into postmodernism. Sure. I mean, my to me, you know, when I was in college, probably to me, the sharpest mind in terms of analyzing these themes in American culture was Leo Marx. Uh, you you know you can go and read what what some of the you know some of the uh, post leftist anarchists have had to say about Leo Marx. So there you go, and I and I still think he was brilliant, or is. I once asked him, by the way, what how he described his politics, and he said, "Oh, I'm a Leo Marxist." <laughs> okay, so um, what moved you to the West Coast? <sighs> what moved me to the West Coast? I had there were two trips in my earlier life. Uh, that 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 prompted me uh, to return here. Uh, one I actually did write about that's actually online um, uh, was when I was in college, and it was a uh, it was a story about my my first trip to the West Coast, driving up Highway One and uh, getting to uh, the Bay Area, doing my first hit of acid. There's a beautiful description of an acid trip straight out of kind of a, a Hunter Thompson sort of thing. Um, what a hop would award with that. And that was really, you know, it was, that was fun thing to write, but also um, I loved it here. I mean, I'm driving up, I'm driving up through Big Sur, and the road is lined with these hippy-dippy hitchhikers and little Volkswagens with peace symbols on, you know, you know the deal. And I, you know, I was like, this is home. So when I was in college, I had a girlfriend and a boyfriend that took up with each other and turned on me, and so did the whole social scene we were in. So this is not a new experience mm-hmm. to me. I just, you know, that was in Ann Arbor. I put my thumb out on the road with whatever I could carry under my arms, hitchhiked out here, lived on the street for half a year, uh, then got on GA, and, and long story short, uh, but I was, it was, it was a hard life. I ended up with a job as a bike messenger, and um, 
I got a call from my dad at one point. He says, we have a friend who's a publisher, uh, operates out of, out of Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey, and he's looking for an assistant. Long story short, I ended up moving back to New York. This was 76. Uh, so that's when I actually, I ended up moving back to New York. The, the situation with the publisher, uh, it was a mismatch. It didn't, it got never, it never, it never happened. But I ended up getting involved with my dad's business, and mm -hmm. there we go. You know, I went back to the thread. So, fast forward another to 1990. Ah, so 15 um, years. Well, yeah. Fast forward to 1990, um, and I'm, I'm still working as a reporter for gay papers. Oh, um, and, uh, but and, I was, and, you, and you've survived the Holocaust, essentially. You, you got it, kid. I mean, I'm in my second round of funerals. Right. Um, and um, and which neighborhood do you mostly live in during this time? Um, it went from the first six years, uh, from about maybe seventy-eight to eighty. No, 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 no. Early, less than that. Uh, from seventy-six to maybe eighty, eighty-one. I lived in Park Slope uh, with the fellow who turned me on to the. To, to the, uh, the yippie place with the, uh -huh. that was a guy named Steve Walt who uh, turns out uh, was filthy rich um, a, a a classic left leftist organizer is his he, he was sort of a, a disciple of Leslie Kagan um, and Steve's uh, just to go way ahead to the present, about about three years ago, Steve's mom finally died and left him the money, and he bought two condos in Thailand, one in Bangkok and one in Chiang Mai. I saw him a few weeks ago. He was here to see the eclipse, uh, but um, you know, so he's 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 living over there and screwed around in Thailand. But I I you know so. I ended up moving over to this place on Bleecker Street with the type equipment. That was Bleecker and Elizabeth, half a block from CBGB's. Um, and I lived there, um, let me think, uh, I would say until uh, sometime around maybe 86. What neighborhood is that officially? Uh, East Village, uh, NoHo it's called now. At that time it was called the Bowery. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. I thought it was the Bowery. Yeah. Um, and um, so, so let's see. Okay, you know so something just hit me that some of the difficulties that I've had with these people are that I don't. My life and my understanding are very complex, and I, I sometimes wonder if these people don't see the world through a much simpler lens. They're younger. Some of it's age. Some of it's age. Some of it, I think, is kind of you know. I said to somebody just the other day that, you know, fear of change, fear of displacement starts with birth trauma. And some people stay in fetal position for a long time. I mean, some people, to paraphrase Barack Obama about guns and, and guns and Bibles, you know, some people cling to, um, to ideology or to a subculture. Just, you know, it's, it's fetal position again. I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to promote myself as, as an enlightened soul or as, as as so worldly. But I think I may be more worldly than some of these people in certain ways or in different ways. Again, the age it's difference. A, it's a cultural is, thing. The age difference is significant. It makes a difference. Sometimes I haven't always recognized that. That may also be a problem because I've yeah. I've tried to deal with people as contemporaries, by equals. 
And what happens when you deal with people at equal, as equals who aren't or who don't see themselves that way? Um, and you're throwing stuff at them that they don't, that they can't handle. But I, you know, I, I'm, I'm too much of an egalitarian on that level. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not an egalitarian on, le- on the level of, um, you know, looking at different interest groups and saying, you know, you know, gay equality, the black equality. You know, I mean, I, 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 but I look at things in terms of human equality. I have articles with arguments with Zionists about this. That, that to me, to me, self determination is rooted in the individual. And so, from that perspective, so I don't discern by the age group. I mean, sometimes you have to, but it's taken them a lot of knocks. So, what did anarchism look like in the eighties? I'm not not sure. Let me say, in the eighties. I mean, obviously, you knew Dean, who was a leftist, I didn't get involved in an anarchist. I didn't get involved in an anarchist scene as oh. such, really. Uh, I guess. I'm trying to think. I don't have a clear picture in my mind of, 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 of my days in New York being tied to... Well, it's, it's interesting. Harold Pickett, the guy who was publishing the gay paper I was working with, uh, was, an, was an anarchist, um, or referred to himself as mm-hmm. an anarchist. Um, so, too, initially, was Joyce Hunter, who was a friend both of Harold, my publisher, and Steve, my roommate, uh, a lesbian organizer, um, one of the people that helped set up the gay high school in New York. And and yet, years later, the reason I mentioned Joyce is that by sometime in the late 80s, Joyce came up to me and or I, I asked Joyce, you know, Joyce was promoting oh, some kinds of this or that kind of laws. And I said, I thought you called yourself an anarchist. And she says, you still believe in that kind of crap? I'm a socialist. Funny thing is, these days, lately, more and more, I'm coming to think of myself as a, an extremely civil libertarian social democrat. It's a lot of words. <laughs> no, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Bernie Sanders with a dash of the ACLU. <laughs> so... Um uh, okay, so we were talking about you moving to the Bay Area, and your motivation ultimately was, did, the, did you lose the job? Um, no. My motivation was to return to the family motif. Michael, my first cousin, my dad's brother's eldest son, who was a movie buff that ended up teaching film at the Yale Drama School, I went to visit him in New Haven, in his hospital bed, covered with KS lesions and tubes sticking into every inch of his skin. And I said, that's it. It was something, this epidemic was about the clones in Fire Island and the people in all the disco bunnies. This is sacred ground. I was burned out. I told people I went from writing about liberation to writing about epidemiology. Um... And I just, I felt, I felt New York was burned out in certain ways. Um, I also had some economic reversals. Um, I was, I was on the verge of losing my apartment. Uh, and I said, you know what? It's too expensive here. I, and, I, and, and it's lost its allure anyway. I'm going back to the Bay Area where I remember I felt sure. this is my place. Yeah. And that was in December 1990. So, you come here, and what was different? Ooh. 
What was different? He mostly worked like as a taxi driver or something, didn't he? That was one brief interval. Okay. Uh, when I moved here, most of the time from 1990 until probably around 2000 or the first seven to ten years that I was out here, I went from continuing to work as a typographer. Uh, the, the type shop was bought by a printer, so it became, you know, it's built from typography, desktop publishing, digital pre-press. I ended up working as a Photoshop jockey. Um, and the typographer, here's Sign of the Times, found out that a shop had opened down the street uh, and had brought all these people over from Hong Kong telling them that they were indentured and that they could not go to work for anybody else and he raided them hired their employees who were doing three times the work at half the price and i walked into his office one day and i said you know i said i can't compete with these people and um uh and 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 uh i said you know i want to do a memoir this is you know this this is a long-standing uh, shirked obligation uh, and i said you know he says, well, yeah, but I feel badly. I said, look, this is capitalism. The system's set up for the boss, not for us. I said, good luck to you. He says, good luck to you. And, um, and, I, and I left that in the, in the late 90s or early aughts. The taxi driving thing was one of several makeshift things that I did along the way in that period. Uh, I, I kind of struggled for a lot of years. Uh, I finally... Uh, in 2009, uh, my mom died, uh, and she had been in an accident. Um, she had been in an accident about seven years earlier uh, in a parking lot in Florida. Uh, one of her legs got crushed. She was already blind with macular. Long story short, uh, my dad... Uh, died about four months later. He had an aneurysm that blew just the very day she got up in the leg brace and walked. They had to reconstruct her entire leg around a uh, titanium rod. I tell all this because basically what happened was she quadrupled the insurance settlement. Uh, and uh, So I ended up coming into a trust fund in 2009. This, by the way, was pretty much long after um, most of the falling outs. Uh, the, the exception was um, an episode that happened in my apartment that I won't get into yet if I do. But suffice it to say, um, you know, so I, so I bought a condo and the first new car I ever bought in my life. And, uh, I, I, I live on the income, which and is... you have enough to, to probably survive the rest of your naturalized assuming that there isn't some kind of hyperinflation or there was you know major you know I, I, I mean, if you live I, modestly and I, I live modestly i mean do you know, i have an income off of that of probably less than thirty thousand a year but it's enough for me to pay my maintenance sure. costs you know i bought the condo for cash yep. and so you know i'm i'm secure yeah so let's talk about anarchism <laughs> so you did not you were not appreciably involved in anarchist community or anarchist spaces in new york 
in the 80s? Not so then, really. So then you come to the Bay Area. What what becomes your involvement here? Well, for one thing, one of the one of the other reasons I moved out here is that Dean was living in Berkeley at that point. No. We had maintained our friendship over those mm-hmm. years. And Dean was involved in various scenes, so I immediately became aware of the Bound Together Bookstore, the Anarchist Book Fair every year. Uh, then I got involved in Queer Nation. I don't know if you're aware of the fact that I was purged from, well, not purged, actually. The, the organization totally disintegrated. There was a terrible, terrible hit piece in Mother Jones where they accused me of, of, of being instrumental in destroying it. Oh, really? Um, but the, the organization was already falling apart. Sure. I objected to a speech code from which there was, and this is a recurring theme in these ostracisms, from which there was no appeal mechanism um, you know, it's like if somebody will ac- will accuse you of sexism or racism, and there was a laundry list of the isms, um, you will be approached by the vibes watchers. Talk about Orwellian terms, um, and 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 censured. And if it happens a second time, you get ejected. And I objected to this this uh, proposal, um, and of course, I was called all the isms. Um, no, obviously it was on, on kind of civil libertarian grounds that I objected, but nobody saw it that way. I, I you know, I, I wasn't, uh, didn't you get the memo? You know, no, I don't get the memos. That's what I see as why these ostracisms happen. I don't operate by the memos. I think for myself, isn't that what anarchism, isn't that what anarchists are supposed to do? I mean, are we supposed to be polite and genteel? <laughs> <laughs> well, most people would consider that being nice. <laughs> I believe in being nice rather than, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing. I, I would rather be kind and, and risk being accused of the isms sure. than to be unkind, let alone belligerent or, or, or go through life with a chip on my shoulder. And, and and then be accused of, 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 of but but the imperfect decorum, uh, you know, talk about hypocrisy. So on some level, <laughs> you know, my goal for this for this project mm-hmm. is to is to try to discover, with the help of other people, some sort of theory of exclusion. Because you know, by and large, I I think it's safe to say that the most interesting anarchists are ones who've been excluded probably from anarchist spaces, if not from other spaces. And that, and that phenomena, that, that phenomena of exclusion, that phenomena of, of how it happens, and more importantly, like, you know, it's one thing to hear that someone is a bad thing, or, you know, hear a bad name about, about a person. But it's something else entirely how someone um, participates in their badness. So as an example, Bob Black's famous... Um, uh, run in with with uh, uh, the person in Seattle where there's you the, talk about the, uh, the 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 snitch episode right, the snitch mm-hmm. episode so so the fact is is that you know like he gets booted out of a place where he, he his expectation was that he was going to spend the night and uh, and you know to me nothing wrong has happened at this point like like sure you can get into a fight with somebody and it can even mean that they you know, they, they drop their generosity to you. Like, this is cold life, and, and shitty things happen. You know, where Bob went wrong is that the way in which he decided to, 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 to deal with this crisis, this nasty situation, was to basically get a, a, a bigger authority or a bigger bully involved in the, in, in, the, uh, in the back and forth. 
and and I think I see this happen all the time where you know like I don't love like exclusion as a principle but but exclusion as a principle can be just a one-time thing or, or like you know there's one thing to like say you know you're not paying attention enough to the environment we'd like you to not be here but it's something else to then turn that into a, a forever like in, in other words the difference between a one-time event and a systematic exclusion i feel like there's something really different there the problem is is that almost all of the people who fall into this category who have who have been excluded tend to get pretty fucked up by by the process of their exclusion let me address that i've been thinking about this a lot and it has to do even with what's happened in the last three months paralleling my drawing away from the scene by the way, I'm sorry I missed the Bastard Conference this year, but that was part of the process was I sort of, you know, I spent 20 minutes at the book fair. And um, part of it was because it was just kind of crowded and physically kind of ungainly to get around. But part of it also was just that, you know, I wanted to say my hellos to the requisite people, the people that I see once a year. Um, no, the, the, you know, people, the Ken Canabs, and, and I don't remember if I even saw you that day. But anyway, um, but I've been thinking about this a lot. And what I realized is that only at this late point in my life, talk about aging, talk about maturation, I've kind of realized after all those years of lusting after hippiedom, you make your own scene. You, you become your own scene. It's one reason I was saying, come on over and do this at my place. But it would have been right. That would have been my turf. It would have been my scene. Mm -hmm. I understood that. Um, but what I'm saying is that when you become your own scene, in a sense, you're framing out the whole scene, not in that larger, but still subcultural or factional way. Um, and I think I've always believed on an intellectual level that what anarchy is about is each of us being autonomous and coming together through empathy, a theoretical position that I find curiously rare. Um, usually it's that we come together through some form of horizontalist bureaucracy, or we don't come together. You know, it's, you know, it's more of a Nietzschean kind of um, radical individualist. Uh, there is no empathy, but so what? That's what, we tr that's what makes us transcendent. You know, it's one of the... Uh, but anyway, but, but to speak to your question, um, for those of us that do become our own scene or that do become fully or at least uh, uh, aspirationally autonomous, um, it kind of cuts us out of the group, the cliques. Um, you know, uh, people don't like those that don't get the memo. Sure. And I think that all the people you're talking about are people who didn't get one or another memo. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. So that, I think, you know, in some ways, that makes them the best anarchists. Um, How best? Well, are we supposed to operate on the memo? Isn't that pretty hierarchical? <laughs> I don't think so. No? Oh, I, mean, I see. If they're horizontal. <laughs> well, I think that part of the Part of, I mean, the other way to frame what it is that you're saying. Can I ask you if the, what the difference is between a spokes council and democratic centralism? 
Well, I'm the wrong person to ask. Okay, but you know, what I mean, you know what I mean by all this. No, but, but really what you're saying is that perhaps your disagreement with Dean from day one was that Dean, like part of being a leftist, is sort of accepting that the we is more powerful and more important than the I. And you rejected that probably from day one. I don't reject it. The way I've managed to maintain, I've, I've had fallings out with Dean, and, you know, the usual, you know, part of the history of, well, also part of the history of anarchism, certainly situationism, is the history of breaks, you know? So this is, you know, I'm, I'm far, not only my far from unique, but even the people in the local scene that this applies to are far from sure. unique. And I think it has something to do with the nature of anarchism itself which is, you know, both radically individualist and at the same time looks for some manner of human cohesion. But no, no two individuals have the same notion of human cohesion. Uh, even even my, my much vaunted empathy turns out to be a pretty nuanced and complex thing. And life is nuanced and complex. And the most nuanced and complex people are going to be the ones who have the most potential breakpoints. If you look at it almost diagrammatically, you know, the more nodes of potential difference there you're are. Starting with the, you're starting with a conclusion. You're not making the case. But, but I understand the point you're making. you me of confirmation bias. That's happened before. <laughs> and I, I've never found a solution to confirmation bias. That's the irony. I mean, I always told people, you want to write a paper? Start with your conclusions and then fill in the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess the point is, is, that, is that I'm trying to to think through what it would look like to, to talk about exclusion or talk about the fact that so many anarchists experience it as a way to think about what anarchism's future is. Because I I definitely, um, I think that it's interesting that, that you're evading uh, what I want to call you, which is an, an individualist and sort of like at heart an individualist. And, and what you're doing is you're basically in your construction, you're, you're saying that there are two kinds of individualists. There's perhaps maybe a good a Goodman individualist, or or you know an individualist marked by the '60s, and perhaps uh, an individualist that's marked more by the '90s and by well, punk, punk rock I, and Nietzsche and. It wouldn't be any 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 revelation if I if I told you. You know, I think that when I made reference as we were planning this event to div, to, to divergences between us, you've just you've hit the nail on the head. I you know I obviously see you as coming out of the ladder. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know that you dispute that. Uh, I think there is a difference. I've always, as I've said, uh, I don't want to sound repetitious, but I've always claimed that the, dis that the, the divergence has to do with an acknowledgement of empathy as the key to as the key to human relationships. Or, I mean, this is of course part of the problem with tr using a word to sort of key a conversation is that the, the word you know, ends up having a, a burden like a, a, like the, the word ends up leading What's the, the word you're referring to? Here? Well, in this case we're talking about exclusion. Oh, okay. But, but obviously another word that I've tried to use as a key to a bigger conversation is the word nihilism and clearly a lot of people have uh, have their own interpretations and have created their own shorthands as to what they think I mean, and what they think that 
the, the term itself means. Oh, I, I, you know, I've always realized that both nihilism and Nietzsche have tended to, you know, certainly by their detractors have been caricatured. I yeah. mean, no, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not going there. Um, on the other hand, um, I, what did you, you saw my comments about Trump as a nihilist in one of the emails I sent you. It's not the first time I've seen those types of comments. You know, and, and what would you say to that? You know, this is a guy who's operating without, uh, without, um, morality in the in the generally disparaged sense of the term uh you know that i don't um, accept that i don't think that's true really yeah you 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 don't think he's just he's amoral and he's just doing all this for fun absolutely not really correct hmm. i think he's operating on a moral system that's different than yours i believe that his moral system perhaps might look more like a classically like mob moral system oh okay Right? Okay. He's he's concerned about his family and about no, the no, I perpetuation, understand exactly the perpetuation of his of his way of thinking and being in the world. And I think How is that different from radical individualism? Well, I, I think it's a, I mean, I'm not sure you understand. I'm not an individualist. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't actually think that the, that the eye is a particularly like, I, I think the eye is what I despise about Western civilization. I mean, I've always thought of you, Aragorn equals Sternerite equals right. individualist. Yeah, not at all. I don't consider myself a Sternerite at all. we got to start over. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, that's partially, but that's partially because how, I, I how do... do how did you pick up that, that reputation and how have you actually diverged from it? Well, um, partially I think I picked up the reputation because we publish so much material that falls under that category. And and I absolutely appreciate, see myself in, enjoy the critique that individualists and egoists make of collectivists and and their ilk. So in, in this in this sense, I think that that classic canard of the indi- individual versus the community... Are we closer to the same page than I ever thought? We, we might be. Why, I, haven't I mean, you, why haven't you been ostracized? Well, I have been. <laughs> oh, that's true. But, but, but at least you've at least you've played the identity card. Found you know. Although I mean, you've, you've taken some flack even with the apot flap. Um, yeah. Uh, again, I, I the the point isn't that I haven't been ostracized. It's that the people who are doing the ostracizing don't have as firm of a ground. Like like most people who get ostracized, let themselves get ostracized. Like, they do most of the work themselves. You think that's true for me? I do. What do you think? It's just that I haven't done work that I didn't even realize was my job. Okay, no, and it's and it's fair to talk about the memo, and I think that that's actually a, a really pointed... Well, it's the memo, and it's also, you know, the cultural and age thing. No, sure, for sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not so sure what I can or am supposed to do about that. I suppose there are two things I could do about it. Uh, one is to recognize that some of my issues are framed by age and culture, mm-hmm. and either to kind of, um, uh, to, 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 make, uh, to, make lemon, to make lemonade out of the lemon, and sometimes I do that. You know, one way that I have, in most cases, not all obviously, succeeded in, in, in surmounting this is, uh, is slapstick. You know, mm-hmm. 
Sure. I, 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 play, I play the whole loudmouth New York Jew thing for every laugh it's worth. Right. Um, and, and I've had lots of people tell me they love it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, some people don't. And, um, you know, uh, and the, other, the other way of, of dealing with this is simply to recognize that this is going to be an issue for some people and to try and do my best to, to accommodate myself to it. And, you know, but you know what? I'm not good at walking on eggs. Right. So, um, I guess the, I guess the point here is that my, um, what I'm trying to apply my own intelligence to isn't the question of whether or not, like, cliques are bullies and the excluded are like the misunderstood geniuses that, that, you know, that, that, that should get their comeuppance, but is... How, like, in general, I find people who, who have been excluded to be more intelligent than pe- people who, who experience their time in cliques. But intelligence doesn't count for nearly as much as people think it does. Right? Intelligent people tend, to, again, to cripple themselves, tend to, to maul decisions rather than the, make them. The most intelligent, not, I'm not going to say the most intelligent people, but the survivors are those who recognize all of what you just said and find a way to dance around it. Correct. I mean, you know, I for all the for all the battering I've taken, I think I've held up pretty well. You know, in but life. You, but you've had to do it alone. Isn't that life? Isn't that I mean, yes and no. You know, I'm I'm have had to do it alone and at times I have desperately grasped for some kind of connection. I think you've seen at least in yes. one case where that's led. Yes. Um, and I, 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 you know, and, and um, I, I, at the same time, that's what I meant when I said it's only been in the last few months that I have finally come to terms with that and said on my own scene, I can probably, you know, part of what was happening in that incident that I was just referring to, grasping out for connection, part of what, what part of what was happening is I went through this whole phase um, in the uh, late aughts, early, maybe you know, you know, sort of, sort of. I think the 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 the, 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 the height of it was probably around two thousand and ten, maybe a little earlier, but in that period where I was where I was doing. I was I was doing a lot of crystal. I would I I get high I immediately hit the uh, computer and start looking for people that I would even gladly submit myself to and 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 serve if only I could join my life force to somebody else's and um and 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 and, and you know it's like and I would do it with this kind of desperation of like yes. by the time I come down. Um, and certainly at this point in my life, this is my last chance. Otherwise, I'm going to go to my grave without ever having really connected my yep. life to anything else. I think I've finally outgrown that. <laughs> but it's taken a long time. And I'm not totally so sure I've outgrown it. But up to a point, at least, I see this as, you know, my life is my own scene. And I'm not going to find immortality by, by glomming on to somebody else's existence. Well, and, and this to me is the heart of what I consider the fate of the individual, 
especially someone who considers himself an individual in the in all the Western uh, sense of the term, and even in the anarchistic sense of the term, is that the individual, especially in this society, is brutally alone, terrifyingly alone. What you just des described about your own experience is, to me, it's a nightmare. I'm going to throw you a curveball. What do you think the Garden of Eden story is all about? It's about alienation. That's probably true. And when we learn to draw lines and create dualities. Yeah. No, and I and I think that's totally fair. This is actually the more or less the anarcho-primitivist uh, perspective, more or less is an argument for a return to the Garden of Eden. Many anarcho-primitivists nowadays come from more of a Christian or more explicitly like traditionally, uh, you know, monotheistic. Can't go home again. <laughs> um, I absolutely agree, but but I also, you know, like part of my own construction is to is to be at war with with Western civilization, especially along these lines. Well, it's more it's trickier than that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I to return all the way in the, from a strange oblique angle to the anti-Semitism question. I mean, look, the Jews invented history. We're going to have to find a way out of it too. But I mean. Uh, and 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 and, and, I, and I'm, I'm I'm not a Zionist except on a spirit. You know, I'm I'm kind of a spiritual Zionist like Judah Magnus. In other words, you know? you, you wish that there were a Zion that you could return to. No, but it not, doesn't a, exist. not exactly. Uh, not exactly. Uh, I think that what what the return is going to have to involve. Look, I've, I'm going to put it very bluntly: the Israelis are going to have to find a way to live in their ancient or traditional homeland without a state. To dissolve, to dissolve into the world, not, you know, and this is not like Marx saying, you know, that the solution to the Jewish problem is to end the Jew, you know, but I, I, I don't, I mean, the, the answer is obviously in Buddhism. It has to do with ego, you know, the dissolution of the ego. Um, and I've taken a lot of help from the Sternerites on that. And say, oh, what's all this philosophical, you know? No, I mean, I think that's where the answer is. Who were the Stirners, Stirnerites that you argued with? I'm trying to remember. I remember coming into numerous forums over the years. Okay, internet at, forums. At, at, like at the Bastard Conference primarily, because mm. the Stirnerites like to, like to inhabit that mm -hmm. space. And, and talking about, you know, and, and, and them talking about radical egotism or egoism mm -hmm. and my saying the ego's the problem, not the solution. Sure. And, pre you know, and, being, and basically being left out of the room. I mean, not in the ostracism way. No, that sure. isn't a case of exclusion so much as intellectual mm -hmm. uh, disapprobation. Nice, nice word. Good vocab word. The, <laughs> the um, I mean, part of the thing that I think that I'm hearing you say, which, you know, you might not accept, but is that you wanted to be heard your entire adult and especially your your entire anarchist life and people aren't hearing you I'm and of course sure. that's frustrating you know i'll tell you even when you made that offer about the um <clears throat> uh the aging book i've always said to myself if i ever do the memoir uh -huh. i you know i'll go to random house i'll go to harper and row you know I mean, if I'm going to be heard, I might as well be heard by a significant chunk of the world. Maybe even a little sliver of the ruling class, you know, or the mass audience or whatever. I don't, I'm not worried about whether I don't make it in a niche market. 
So that's part of my reaction to the, to the you know, what happened in Queer Nation or the anarchist thing. Look, you know, I'm still openly gay. I'm still whatever my politics are. That hasn't, you know, that hasn't gotten, gotten dis- that hasn't disintegrated. And I'm still standing. So, I mean, in that sense, uh, you know, I'm not worried about the fora in which I haven't been heard. They aren't that, that you know, most of them have disintegrated. So, you know, I'm not worried. Uh, I worry about not having been heard or not having had the impact or effect that I wish I had on the world in general. But talk about, talk about brutal things about, about exist, you know, brutal existential realities. All of us, I think, feel disempowered in that way. Um, Well, and this is, this is actually the, the only criticism that I will make of you is that whether we like it or not, and this is sort of a, you know, this is a contentious point. When you are at a certain age or at a certain place in your life, there are expected social roles. There are expected things that, that the memo details in, in quite a bit of detail. You're to tell me I should do the memoir. <laughs> I'm saying that if you were going to have the relationships that you would like to have had in your life at this point, you, sh- you needed to have something that people knew existed that they wanted to come to and that meant that they had to c- come through you. In other words, you didn't build enough that was distinct, that was, that was the artifice of Mitchell. Probably you didn't write enough in the anarchist space. Talk about irony. For somebody who has talked about um, <sighs> For somebody who's even talked about prostitution as being kind of the prototype of 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 of, of creating a simulacrum of affection or whatever, I've never believed in performance or branding as the answer to the human prediction. Sure. It's 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 perhaps a key part of the problem. So I'm not sure if the way out of alienation is just to. Uh, is to improve is to improve the visibility of my brand. I this is I've had numerous good friends, and you've become a better friend. I think the way you've handled this interview, um, I, and, I, and I'll ask you before I before I finish even this this thought, uh, if there's any way in which you feel that I've hijacked this or that you want to return to a theme that you haven't mm-hmm. fully covered, let me know or, or steer it that way. But before you do. Um, that I've always seen this as a real dilemma. Uh, but then again, isn't that why Kurt Cobain checked out? Absolutely. All no, right, so sure. there you are. I'm far from unique. And I mean, Kurt actually did buy into the game, and I think he realized he didn't, he'd made the devil's yeah, he, bargain. He, he resented it, yeah. I, I mean, regret it. I, I realize that, sure, if I want to make the devil's bargain, it's there for the taking. It'll be hard work anyway, but at least I, at least I have that framework to work in. I don't think upping my brand is really going to solve the problem that I'm looking to solve. I mean, you're to to refer to it as upping your brand is a is a pretty unfair characterization. Uh, sure, of what, sure. What it is I'm, I'm referring sure. to? Look, I'm if trying you, to. I mean, if you had written your memoir when you were 30 years old, and it was the epic argument for your position, someone could have, bef- without meeting you, without ha- having to deal with you, with who you are as a as a personality. Instead, they would have dealt with you as a body of thought. 
that isn't that, that alienating in itself though in a certain sense I mean I don't make that distinction partially, but partially what you're referring to is you're referring to this the core problem in western civilization sure which which like I leave that to the philosophers because I make do with what it is that I'm capable of achieving and and, and with the people who show up and what I'm saying is that is that you didn't <laughs> is that you didn't end up having a lot of people show up and as a result you didn't even like as a Can result Can I answer you Eric one very simply? Yeah. If I came to you asking why have I failed to achieve what I wanted in life that would be a very eloquent answer. But I haven't come to you oh, saying I enough. feel like fair a failure. Enough. Fair enough. Um, I, I know that that's been an option, but that remains an option. It's one reason that I continue to continue to maintain in my mind this idea that at some point I should take a year or two out and do a memoir. And I think there would be a lot more wisdom in it now than there would have been. I've been talking about this, obviously, since I was in my 30s. Sure. Um, and I realize now that, you know, each each time I think of it or visit that issue, that there's been a lifetime of accumulated experience in between since the last time. Sure. Um, and part of the part of part of what keeps me from doing it is I don't have a conclusion to draw, or I don't have a closure to come to. Um, and I realize that perhaps that's part of that's the nature of any project. Yeah. And at the same time. I think, really, what I'm looking for is somebody who does come to me for me and not for oh, my product. Good luck. Hey, welcome to the club. Yeah. Well, this has been a I great... Mean, this do been, you, this, do this you been, want people to come to you for what you've done or for who you are? Do you want them to come to your soul or do you want them to come to your work? My work. Interesting. Wow. Because how... And I'm not sure there's a distinction. Yeah, exactly. And and that's part of the point. How in the hell would they know what my soul is if they have no evidence of it? If I were just a quiet wallflower, if I were just... Yeah, they wouldn't know. Well, we go back to an old story. By the sweat of thy brow. (laughs) So much for Western civilization. Watch it. This has been a great conversation. Thank you very much. Yeah, really. Thank you. Yeah, no problem.